So you have your sermon guides. All right. And your Bible's open to Deuteronomy chapter 6. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads together. Gracious Father, thank you for the worship that we've already been able to be part of this morning. Lord, our hearts have been lifted to the very throne room of heaven. Thank you for the gift of music that that has a way of of softening our our hearts and and giving us a, a greater spiritual vision. So Lord, now as we spend some time uh, in your word and talking about the family and, and worship, I pray that your spirit would, would linger, that you'd speak to our hearts and you'd speak to the challenges that we face as, as families and, and that you would cast for us a vision of what you desire for, for our families. In Christ's name I pray. When you read our scripture this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm, I'm wondering for how many of you, verse 9 had a phrase that, that resonated with you, that, that, you had, that you've read before, that you, you recognize it as being from somewhere else in scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, Moses writes these words. He says, you shall write them on the doorposts. Now, when you read that phrase, does it sound familiar? Now, remember, Deuteronomy is a repeat. It's a summary. It's a sermon that Moses wrote. He, they're preparing to enter in Israel. Is preparing to enter into the promised land. And it's a, a recap of what God has been showing the nation of Israel up to this point. And so it's only natural that Deuteronomy will have some phrases, some, um, some verses that are taken from elsewhere. So in Deuteronomy 6, 9, where it says, these, uh, you shall write these on the doorposts of your house, what do you think of? What do you think of? Could it be possibly Exodus chapter 12? Yeah. So remember the setting of Exodus 12, the children of Israel have been given the instructions for Passover and they're told to, to dip the hyssop in the blood of the lamb and to apply it to the lentil. That's not the, the small legume. It's the, the horizontal piece of the, the doorway. And then it says, and apply the blood to the doorpost. Those would be the, the vertical pieces of the doorframe. So Moses is repeating that, that expression. So that leads to ask the question, what is so important? Now it's putting the commandments of God on the doorposts, and there it was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Well, what's significant is to understand the, the religion, the culture of Egypt. This is really significant. We'll talk more about it next week, but... In the Egyptian religion, the pagan religion of Egypt, it was part of the process of being saved. There were multiple steps to, in order to have eternal life in the afterlife. And one of those steps of having life eternal was to have your name last forever. As long as your name lasted, you would last in the afterworld. That's why... Archaeologists are finding, as they uncover um, statues of former pharaohs, uh, some have had their names completely removed. You have the statue of the pharaoh, but then there's no identification who it is. And the reason for that is the pharaoh that came after that pharaoh would take have have his his people with hammers and chisels, and they would remove the name of the previous pharaoh just to make sure that he would not live on eternally. Now, if you're rich, if you're a pharaoh, you, everywhere in Egypt, you write your name. You carve it everywhere, palaces, on your statues, on your, in, your, in your pyramid. Your name is everywhere. But if you're a poor Egyptian or a Hebrew slave in Egypt, what do you do? What do you do? Where do you put it? 
Well, the answer is very simple. In the poorest of house in Egypt in the time of, of Moses, the houses were mainly made of mud with thatched roofs. Except there was some stone, in fact, very little stone, but the only stone was the stone that made up the doorposts and the lintel. And so archaeologists have found these poor huts. The, the only thing that's surviving is, is these, the, the, the lintel and the doorposts that are now fallen over. And they have found, as they have dug these up, is the name of the family written in the stone there. So I don't want you to miss the significance here. God is telling the children of Israel, he's telling us through Moses, he's telling us that if you want to have a family of faith, you have to claim the family. And so the instruction was that the commandments were to be put on that doorpost where the, the name of the family would be as, as an indicator, as a, as a marking that this is God's, God's home. Does that make sense? I think there's a, a, a really clear application for us today not to write your name on your, your doorpost, although um, that might be a symbolic thing to do. But we need to mark our homes as God's home. But unfortunately, in a lot of Christian homes, our homes haven't been marked as God's home. In a lot of Christian homes today, the, the home really isn't any different than the, the home next door. Now, there may be some different behavior from us on a weekly basis as we go to church, but what about the rest of the week? Has our home been marked as God's home? And has any claim by the enemy been removed from our home? I remember, I remember listening, I think it was Dr. Derek Morris was talking about a, a family where there had been some demonic activity, a harassment in their home. And as Dr. Morris was, was walking through the home preparing to pray in the home, he noticed that there was a, a statue on um, the hearth or on the, the um, mantle of the fireplace. It was a little idol, a little idol that, that had been added to the family home as just a, as an object of decoration. It was part of the decor. But the family unknowingly had brought in the enemy into their home. It was not marked as God's home. So besides the obvious of removing any idols from our home, how do we mark our homes as, as God's home? Probably the easiest, well, maybe not the easiest, maybe one of the clearest ways that we can do that is by marking it with family worship. To not just wait for our declaration of our faith to happen on Sabbath morning, but to happen throughout the week as a family, as we gather together to recognize God's holiness and his rights on our family. I don't know about you, but I want my faith to be known not just because of the fact that I get in my car Sabbath morning and drive away wearing a, a, a suit and tie. By the way, I remember living in Alabama, I remember neighborhood kids asking my kids, so where do you go every Saturday all dressed up? It's a wonderful question, led to wonderful discussions, but wouldn't it be great if that kind of question was asked throughout the week, not just based on our Sabbath behavior? So with family worship, the, the, the idea is daunting. You've heard my testimony in, in snippets and parts, and 
when, when I first became a Christian, I remember, I remember Anne Marie saying, I really wish you would lead in family worship and, and just say family worship and lead together. And I was so intimidated. How do I do that? What do I do? What do I do? All I had as far as worship, a picture in my head was the, the pastor up there preaching for 30 minutes. It's like, how am I going to preach for 30 minutes to my kids, my six month old? What's he going to get out of that? It was daunting. What do I do? So maybe you're wondering the same question. Where do we begin uh, with family worship? You'll notice that there are seven, seven steps, seven things to do, seven ways to begin. And we'll just quickly go through those. The first is this. Family worship must be born of conviction. And again, as you see the bold underlined word, that's what you fill in your blank. It has to be born of conviction. If, if you want to lead your family in worship, you first have to understand that it's important. Because we do what's important in our lives. We spend our time on the things that are important. So, oh, I forgot my disclaimer. Some of you are thinking, uh, well, some of you have already checked out. And you think, I don't have kids at home. This is, whoop, I'm not paying attention. Well, listen, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or an uncle, or if you're single with no kids, this applies to you because you have a responsibility to disciple young people, whoever you are. And if you're 16 and you're listening to this, you have a responsibility to disciple younger people. So everybody should be, should be um, keyed in and, and clued in and, and awake and, and, and listening. So so there has to be the, the conviction first. It has to be, if you want to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you have to see how important that is. If you're like our family and with family worship, there were lots of times when we would we'd start with, with great intention. We'd go one day, two days, three days, and then we'd miss a day. And then what happens? You miss another day. And then you miss another day. And then you find yourself, it's been weeks since we did family worship. That happened a lot in our house. But one of the things, I praise God for leading Anne-Marie. Oh, in so many ways. But leading Anne-Marie into my, our lives. Because we were trying to figure out, you know, we, we became Christians after our first child was born. We were clueless what we were doing. And so what we would do is we would, or what she would do, I was clueless still, but she was, she was smart. She would look around for families in the church that, that the families seem to be doing it right. Now, not perfectly, none of us do it perfectly, but they were doing it right, that the family was moving in the right direction. And she would watch them, and, and she would seek them out, and she would have us spend as much time as we could with them so we could just glean something that they were doing. But there's something that, that else that happened besides learning bunches of, of skills and things not to do that we were doing, but it brought about conviction about what we weren't doing. And it put a desire in our hearts to do things differently. So that's where we need to start. We need to see the, the need, we need to have the, the desire, we need to have the conviction. And, and next, family worship it begins with the head of the household, and I've, I've talked about this before, and I know some will think, well, this sounds, this sounds sexist, but there are several dynamics going on. But first of all, let me say that I am not saying that mom should never lead family worship. 
If there's no family worship being done, somebody needs to do it. Like Deborah stepped up as one of the judges. Ladies, you need to step up and make sure that family worship is, happen- is happening in your home. Now, at the same time, let me also add, if your husband's not leading family worship, this is not the time to remind him over and over how he should be. There's another word for that. It's called nagging. And it doesn't work. Your job, ladies, is not to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit can take care of your husband's heart. So what you need to do is pray for your family. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. But why, why should... Why should the husband be leading worship? Listen, if the dad is committed to it, mom and kids are most likely going to be committed to it too. Kids naturally, as much as I hate it, as much as it was inconvenient as my kids were growing up, they're always looking to me for direction. And if I'm not leading, they're not getting that direction. And again, as I've said before, if family worship is not being led by dad and dad is a bump on a log, he's sitting there passively while mom does it, you're communicating something to the children. And that is that spiritual things aren't for men. It's for women and kids. And we don't want to communicate that to our children. We want dads to pass the baton on that this is important for all of us. So it needs to be, it needs to be done by the head of the house. And if you Lady, are a single mom, you are the head of the house. Do it. And we pray for you as a, as a church. We pray for you because your job is challenging. It's tough. It's tough. And the Holy Spirit will make up for what you're lacking in the, mar- in the family situation. We're praying for you. So dads, don't be content to defer. Lead. Lead. And, and if you don't know how to lead, learn. Learn. Third, Family worship has to be scheduled. You know, if it's not built into the schedule, it doesn't happen. If, if Anne-Marie and I don't plan a date night where we get to go off and, and, and go through an antique store or something together, if we don't put it in the calendar, all of you take up that, which is not good for, for the two of us. And so I need to pull out my calendar and I, I schedule it so it happens, Right. And we need to do that with family worship. We need to be consistent about when we do it. And, and we shouldn't allow anything else in the schedule to, to crowd it out. Now, you, you don't want it to be a road exercise. But listen, it takes, it takes 30 days of doing something at least for it to be a habit. So schedule it. We do it in the morning. We do it in the evening. Typically, we do it um, around breakfast time, either while we're, if we're in a rush to get out of the house uh, I'll read it while uh, the family is, is eating, or we'll do it right after breakfast, and we do it right before bed. And I may unpack that a little bit longer to see how the Spirit leads. Number four, family worship must be simple. You know the acronym K-I-S-S, keep it simple, silly. You don't need PowerPoint slides for family worship. You don't have to spend 30 hours during the week, 30 hours of exegesis to prepare for family worship, okay? Keep it simple. There's, here's a good way to start. In, in the morning, I know a lot of families will do in the morning a, like a devotional book, and there are lots of really good devotional books. Um, even the, the ABC or, or Pacific Press puts out 
devotional books every year. And there's one that takes spirit of prophecy quotes. That's probably for older people, um, older children. There is, there's usually one that's written by a contemporary author. And then there's usually a children's devotional. So some really great devotional. So those last, what, 15 minutes maybe. And then in the evening, uh, read some scripture together. And then if your children are, are young, if they're like toddlers, uh, you're obviously not going to read to them from the King James, right? But how many of you read Uncle Arthur's um, Bible stories? Those are fantastic books. They're the, the multi-volume set. They're blue. And, and the kids will love, they love those stories. They love those stories. So just keep it, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Number five, family worship must be natural. And all I want to say to this is you don't have to be Doug Batchelor. If, if God wanted your children to be led in family worship like, like Doug Batchelor's kids, he would have put your kids in Doug Batchelor's family. And he didn't. He put them in your family. And so he wants you to use your style, your giftedness. He wants it to be natural. He wants it to be authentic. So as a family, sing songs that you know, sing songs that you like, study things that fit your particular situation as a family. Our kids need to know to be themselves before God. There's no, God doesn't want us to put on airs if we're leading worship or as if we're a four-year-old. He wants us to be real before him. Um, so you need to be real with your kids. Number six, family worship must be mandatory. Whoa. Well, that sounds pretty harsh and legalistic, right? But listen, nobody in the family should be able to say, well, I'm not going to sit in family worship today. I don't want to be part of it. Uh, I'm going to go and sit in my room and play video games, or I'm going to go and listen to my iPod. Uh, I'm going to go text my friends. I'm not going to do that. Um, everyone needs to be present. Everyone needs to be there. And, and I say that, and I don't want it to sound like I'm picking on the kids. There have been times, can I be transparent with you? <laughs> Maybe too transparent. There have been times when Anne-Marie and I have had an argument, and I don't want to go and have worship. I don't want to go and lead worship. I'd rather just sit and pout sometimes and let her lead worship. But worship needs to be mandatory. Right? I need to be there. And our, every member of the family needs to be there. Well, okay, pastor, what, what, if, what if somebody's having a meltdown? What if somebody's got a bad attitude? Right? What if I've got a teenager who's being rebellious? Not, obviously not an ardent teenager. Um, none of our teenagers are, in my family, never any rebellious teenagers. Never. Tongue in cheek, okay? We've all experienced it. And the beautiful thing is if, our, if time lasts and our teenagers become adults and they're married and they have kids of their own, they get to experience this wonderful. But, but listen, what do you do when your teen says, I don't like algebra and I think it's stupid to solve for X. I'll never use it in my entire life. What do you do? Well, first of all, you, if you're like me, I'll say you're probably right. You won't use it much depending on what you study. But you're, are you going to tell them, well, I want you to take the algebra and set it aside. Never do it. Don't worry about it. No, no. What you would do is, is stress the importance of education. You would take them to the algebra. You would help them. You'd walk alongside with them, encourage them. You'd deal with the rebellion, but they're going to do their algebra. 
Now, let me ask you this. Is, is solving for X, is that more important than family worship or less? It's less. It's less. Family worship is more important than finding X. So if you're going to make algebra mandatory, then make family worship mandatory and stand your ground. And number seven, family worship has to be participatory. Don't make it a performance. Don't get up there and, and, and make it about one family member. Share the responsibilities. Invite your kids to join in. In fact, as your kids get to be elementary school, tell your eight-year-old after they've been doing family worship, hey, you're in charge of family worship tonight. And can you put that together? And, and then help them find the tools and, and select who's going to read the scripture and who's going to do the singing and who's going to lead the prayer and, and who's going to read from the devotional book, all of those things. But, but get them involved. And you'll be amazed as you do that, you'll be amazed at how the family will grow, how your kids will grow. So, seven ways to, to do family ministry or family, family worship to make it, make it happen. But some of you may be thinking, well, Really, what difference does it make? I mean, how important is this? How important is it really? Well, again, seven ways, seven things, seven ways, differences this will make. Okay? Number one, family worship honors God. There's something that touches my heart that knows that we're not just worshiping God one day a week. That every day, twice a day, I'm pulling the family together, centering them together, and the purpose is to worship God. The, the idea that we are actively, intentionally inviting God into our home. Every day, twice a day, saying, God, this is your home. This is your family. This is Our family belongs to you. And early on when we started doing family worship, if we had house guests, I would always feel uncomfortable about that. And basically what I would do is... I'd kind of pull the family aside. Usually I'd say to Anne Marie, you know, we got people here, so we're just going to skip family worship today because I don't want our house guests to feel uncomfortable. But now, after so many experiences of like having someone over for dinner and they stay past dinner and it's time for family worship, and we say, we have a tradition. And these are non believers sometimes. We say, we have this family tradition that we gather together uh, twice a day and we have worship together. Would you like to be part of it? And guests usually say, Okay. And they sit there, and I can't tell you how many times people have said, I've been blessed by that. That was really special. So, so it honors, it honors God. Okay. It also makes a difference in that family worship will draw your family closer to God. See, again, another disclaimer, family worship doesn't guarantee, it doesn't guarantee the salvation of the members of the family. Hear me? Hey, but it doesn't hurt. Right, anything that I can do that will increase my odds of having a positive influence for God's kingdom and my family, I'm going to do it. And, and we have been given the responsibility, the charge, to communicate the gospel to every member of our family. So it goes without saying that a family that prays together, that reads the, the Bible together and sings praises to God together, they're going to be closer to God than a family that doesn't, Right? So for Pete's sake, don't just surrender to the world. You know, fight back and say, these kids are mine, right? So it'll draw you closer to God. And it'll also draw you closer, your family closer to one another. There's something about when our kids hear dad praying for mom and mom praying for dad and brother praying for sister and sister praying for brother, for that prayer to, 
it just, you can't help it, but it ties this, the hearts together. We're closer together. Like apron strings, our hearts have strings that get tied together that way. So it draws us together. Four, family worship will lay a foundation of multi-generational faithfulness. Now what I mean by that, well let me, let me give you an illustration. I've spent time with families. There, there are families out there that have these family traditions that, that they've been doing forever and they got it from the generation before them. And it'll be something like a, on the 4th of July is, I'm just making this up, but on the 4th of July is Lake Day. Is we as a family go to the lake on 4th of July. We don't, but it's just an example, right? And that came from the grandparents who did it when the, 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 their kids were little. And, and now it's just the family tradition, right? So, Fourth of July is the generation is or the the tradition is it's Lake Day. Listen, family worship doesn't guarantee that your children will have it in their home, but what will happen is when you do family worship on a consistent basis, it becomes the norm, not the exception to that. And let me let me add, let me add this: hiking and camping are great pastimes. I love to do those things. I love to do those things. But don't let hiking and camping become a family tradition that takes the place of corporate worship. Does that make sense? When it's an activity we love to do together as a family, but it pulls us away from corporate worship, what happens is you raise children who become adults who instead of wanting to worship corporately would rather be camping and hiking. Okay, so be, when you're, when you're creating traditions, think multi-generational, okay? Um, Think multi-generational. Uh, let me give you an example. It just popped into my head. My mom was a daddy's girl, right? And whenever anything went, when, her, when she came home from school and she had had a bad day, everything was bad, my granddad, we, the, my kids called him Dandy. Granddad, isn't that great, Dandy? Anyway, granddad, her dad, would sit her down at the kitchen table and he would pop a Coke and he would give her a Coke and he would sit there and they would talk about it. So now, now that mom is 70-something, whenever her day doesn't go well or she's sad or depressed or whatever, what does she do? She grabs a Coke. Because with that Coke comes this emotional memory, right? So as we're establishing traditions, we need to look down the road. We need to look long-term. Some things are benign, obviously, but some things we, we need to be mindful of. So... Anyway, hiking and camping, they're great pastimes. But what I want to instill, rather than, than those traditions, is I want to instill the habit of family worship in my children and my children's children. Okay? All right, number five, family worship will expose spiritual weaknesses in your home. And it does. Because if anybody in the family is going to act out, whether it be mom or dad or, or brother or sister, it's going to be during family worship just happens that way. Um, now, you remember last week, after last week's message, there is no way to, that anybody could say, Pastor Eric doesn't support Christian education, right? I hit public schools pretty hard last week. But listen, when we send our kids to school, we're losing 40, 55 hours, if they're in academies, more than that. We're losing that much time of influence in their lives. 
Someone else is having the influence. And that's why Christian schools are so important, is we want to have someone who's working on the same page with us during that, that 40 to 55 hour slot of time so that they'll be in, influencing, um, influencing them. But teachers will tell you, and I won't show of hand, uh, show, ask for a show of hands from our teachers here, but teachers, do you not see the character flaws of the children as they're sitting in your classroom 40 to 55 hours a week? Yeah. I mean, the teachers can tell you, they can tell you, well, well, okay, if I say somebody's name, it's purely accidental. Jimmy is lazy, right? And um, so-and-so is, is arrogant. I mean, the teachers pick up on that, right? Because they have spent the time in, in close proximity. They understand the character flaws of the children. And godly teachers and godly classrooms recognize that, and they disciple that. They, they're, they're teaching that. But the same is with family worship. Family worship provides the daily, if, if, if not twice daily, opportunity to see your kids' rebelliousness, to see their laziness, to see their disrespectful attitudes, to see their disinterest in godly things, to see the idols of the heart. If you're not doing family worship, you're not recognizing the character flaws because you're not spending enough time with your kids. Does that make sense? Now, some of you might say, well, I think I'll skip family worship so I don't see the rebellious attitudes. Well, when we lived in Michigan, when I was going to the seminary, we would drive every day, or, or every Sabbath when we were driving to the Stevensville church, we would, we would drive down this road towards Stevensville, surrounded on both sides of the road by vineyards, right? And sometimes you'd see brand new vines planted, but most of the vines were, were, they've been around for a long time, right? Now, you know how they look different. A brand new grapevine versus an old grapevine? If you don't, I'll, I'll tell you. A brand new grapevine, it is very tender. And, and, you, and you take that grapevine and, and you point it you, to the trellis. You tie it to the trellis. You want it to, to grow a certain way. You bend it. You shape it. You, you intertwine it around the, the trellis, Right? Now, the older grapevines, the ones that have been around for a while, they're not soft and pliable. They're, they're gnarly and woody. And you don't bend them. They don't bend. And so the same happens with our kids. If we are not recognizing the character flaws and directing that and working with that when they're still pliable, when we realize, oh, they're really big now. They're bigger than I am. They outweigh me. And these character flaws are really big. And you try to start bending them now, it's like one of those gnarly, woody grapevines. It's not going to happen. So if you don't address it now, it'll be too big to make headway against later. Number six, family worship will serve as a training ground for smaller children. Listen, do your young ones have problems sitting still through church? I'll tell you, one of the best ways to train them is through family worship, where they're sitting in family worship, sitting still. When, when you're holding your six-month-old in family worship twice a day, and then they become a toddler, and they're sitting beside you twice a day, when they come into the worship service and they sit beside you on a pew, it's just like family worship. They know what's expected, and, and they sit there 
and, and they do what's expected. So, by the way, a, a, a child who participates in, no, scratch that, I don't like the word participates. When a child is engaged in family worship every day, they will be engaged in corporate worship. You want your kids to be worshiping God, not just receiving, participating? Engage them in family worship. And, and that leads me, by the way, let me just add, one great way to engage your kids in family worship, preparing them for corporate worship, is, is some of, uh, I, I know some of you go online on Fridays, look at the bulletins of the other churches to see what's going on, right? Who's speaking where? I've heard, okay? But from now on, go online to the Arden Church website, look at our bulletin, and look and see what hymns are being sung. And look and see what the scripture reading is for that coming Sabbath. And then, in family worship, pull out the hymnals and sing those hymns. Pull out your Bible and read those scriptures. And then, when your little ones are here in church... And we start singing corporately, we start singing that hymn, you should see heads pop up and say, that's our song, right? Or I recognize that Bible verse. So family worship prepares, it trains, um, it's training ground for the smaller children. And finally, number seven is family worship will make corporate worship more meaningful. So let, let me just add, there seems to be a, a growing trend, and that's for worship services to be more professionalized. I mean, even some churches hire the, everybody's hired up on the platform in some churches from not just, you know, the pastor's hired, but you also have worship leaders and, and, and the whole works. And there's a temptation for us to, to approach worship as being a spectator sport. It is what's being done up here is for the benefit of, of you as, as it would be as if you went to, to see a concert. But what family worship does is it takes us back to the way the church was in Acts chapter 2. There were no paid church leaders. There were apostles, and even in the local church, there were no settled pastors. There was a, there was a local elder, earth couple, and there were lots of families. So as you're gathered together as a family, as you're doing family worship, as you're engaging in simple, heartfelt, participatory, community-based New Testament worship, it revitalizes your home, it revitalizes the church. If there is ever a time for families to engage, it's now. It's now. We need to be engaged in what happens here on Sabbath. And that happens through family worship through the week. Because we need to mark our homes, we need to intentionally mark our homes with things that will engage the senses of our children and through engaging them in regular worship, we can turn our homes into sanctuaries for the worship of Almighty God. That's what we're after. So, with that said, I have homework for you. You've probably, you've looked at the bottom of your answer sheet. So this is your homework. These are your action steps for this week. The first one is this. I want you to take an inventory of the things that are marking your home. If it's a, a television or a device or whatever it is, take an inventory of the things that are marking your home, identifying who it belongs to. And if there are things that need to go, take action. Not long after we were, we were Christians, 
Again, unfortunately, Anne-Marie led the way on this too, but I came home from work one day and there was a pile of, of CDs. Actually, I don't think the pile was even there. They were already gone. She had gone through all of our CDs and, and my Rolling Stones CDs were, were gone. They were gone. It's like, no, they were still there. She's defending herself now. Well, I didn't get rid of them. But I had them in, she had them in a pile. It's like, this is, that's a ghost stack. Let's talk about it. Well, obviously they, they, they went. But you, we need to, we need to prioritize. We need to prioritize. Okay. Number two, your homework assignment. Think about ways that you can set Sabbath aside as, as special. It's not just the day we collapse, Friday night. Okay. How can we make it special? A uh, special meal on Friday night, songs, special songs. When your children are little, when our kids were little, we had special toys that were reserved for just Sabbath. Make it, make it special. Establish traditions to be carried on generationally. I think I've shared this with you before, just quickly, on Friday evenings when, well, with ever, whatever children I have available now, because they keep fledging, but it um, wasn't long ago we had... Four kids around the table, and mom and dad, and this is what we do on Friday. We have two candles that mom would light. One represents creation, the other one recreation. And she would light the match, and as she was lighting the first candle, uh, the family would say, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. And then as she lit the second candle, we'd all say in unison, to keep it holy. And then she would pray a prayer of blessing on the family. Beautiful prayer that she has memorized. And then I would go around the, the chairs from oldest to youngest, and I would put my, my hands on the shoulders of the, each kid, and I'd rub their shoulder, and I would say a special prayer of blessing. Each of our kids has a, a Bible character who has a character trait that we want our kids to have. And so I would pray specifically. Um, I'll, pray, I'll, I'll show you one of them, for example. I want to identify whatever what, the, the kid that it is. But this is the way that it goes. As I'm rubbing the shoulder, I think this is, I used to think this was their favorite part, rubbing the shoulders, but, but it's not. I'll say, Father, bless so-and-so. Help them to be like David. May he have a heart like God's. May he be faithful, and may he be willing to stand for you forever. And that's it. And uh, each one has a different one. Okay, a different, a different character trait. And that's our family tradition. By the way, Evan is 23, Aaron's 19, Austin's 17. If we skip that, they're like, where's the blessing? Um, we want it. Our kids want it. Okay. Uh, third, fill your house with the songs of Zion. You can see the blank. Play Christian music in your home. I would. I didn't intend this when I wrote it, but as I've prayed about it, as I've thought about it, fill your ears with the sound of music that honors God. If you're one of these families that, that likes the secular and, they, and you like the spiritual as well, I'd encourage you if you really want to mark your home as God's home, I take the secular and, and just move it out. And then just fill your home with sacred. 
And it can be the sacred song with lyrics or can be good instrumental music. But as you're walking through the house, as your kids are hearing the music play, the words of those hymns will come to mind. And when I say that, okay, now, man, I I get myself in trouble. When I say good Christian Christian music, not 7-Eleven songs. You know what I'm saying? My 7-Eleven, seven songs, or seven words repeated 11 times. You know those choruses? There is so much good music, and the words, the lyrics of the song are better than any sermon that I've ever preached. And as you sing it, it enters the heart. So be selective with the music, okay? So it really speaks to the heart, and, and it's embedded in there. You know, you know they, they, the scientific word for it is earworms. It's, it's a song that's stuck in your head. And instead of it being, you know, um, Bruno Mars or whatever, something of value, right? All right? Put that in there. So fill your home with Christian music. And fourth, last, if you're not currently doing family worship, set at least, if you do nothing else, set Friday evening aside to sing, to pray, to read scripture, to encourage one another. And, and if you're doing family worship and it's hit or miss, it's inconsistent, become, become more regular about it. Be intentional about it. Let your family know that this is a priority. This is important. This is important to our family. Because with the culture pressing in, the influences around us, it's, it is really hard to press against it. So you have to have everything in your arsenal. And it has to start. It has to start with family worship. Let's stand for prayer. Truly, God, you are big enough. Lord, I pray that, that we would be a people who, who doesn't just save you for the weekend but we invite you into our homes every day, morning and evening. That we, we surrender our lives to you as a family every day, every morning and every evening. Father, I know that, that there are some who um, have tried and, and, and family worship has, has slipped away. It just has been so difficult to, to keep on. And I just pray that your spirit would be poured out on them and encourage them and uplift them as they seek now to, to worship you each day, to lead their family in worship. Father, I pray that, that our families would be transformed, that we would experience personal revival on the family level, because when the family is in revival, the church is in revival, and when the church is in revival, our community is reached for God's kingdom. So I pray, Lord, that every family that is represented here, whether you have children or not, I pray that you would use each one of us as we disciple one another, as we disciple our young people, as we prepare them for heaven, as you prepare us. Bless us as a church. Praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.